Howdy folks, welcome to Sketchy Conversations with John Melson IV. Today I'm chatting with guitarist and singer-songwriter Julie Outrage, also known as Julie O. We talk guitar, filmmaking, going viral, and other topics. Check it. So, how's it looking on your end? Uh, good, good. Um, yeah, you know, we're in a global panoramic, but you know. Yeah, so, like, um, what have you done with the time, you know, that's kind of like... um been given to us yeah I mean I think as soon as the pandemic hit I pretty much was started like beefing up my home, re- home recording situation because I was like if I'm gonna be stuck up in the house like this I better have something to do you know smart <laughs> move yeah so that was my first actually my first move was getting this microphone this one I'm using right now this AKG uh, C214 that was one of the first purchases, um, but um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, you know, um, been spending a lot of time just kind of working on music and basically trying to um, focus on what feels important now since everything has changed so much, you know. Um, so it's kind of been like a growth experience, and also um, musically, it's been, it's, you know, it's helped me to focus to be able to have less, you know, external noise all over the place and things to do. So I was able to sit down and work on some tracks lately. So that's been cool. Nice. So where are you based out of? I'm in D.C. Cool. Yeah. Uh, which part, if you don't mind me asking? I'm in northwest D.C., like uh, Tacoma Park area. Oh, okay, cool, cool. I know exactly yeah. where that is. Yeah. All right. So what was it like growing up? You said why? What was it like growing up? Um, that's a pretty broad question. In what way? Um, just like, you know, like music wise, like were you kind of musical kid? Were you like, um, they just kind of like, you know, cause I got yeah. like, yeah, cause I first started playing guitar like on 12 or 13 on a boredom. So it's like, you know, what sparked you to play guitar? Um, I started playing guitar when I was, um, about like 13 or 14. Um, I don't remember what exactly sparked me choosing to play guitar specifically. Um, I just, it was an instrument, it was probably like the second or third instrument that I had played. I like, played trumpet when I was a kid, when I was like seven years old, and um, then I played clarinet, and then I took a guitar class in high school, and I actually liked it and kind of stuck with it. Um, so yeah, I started playing when I was about 14 or 15. Cool. I remember, I remember I had a choice between flute or guitar, but everything I played is like an old kung fu movie, so I'm like, I'll stick with the guitar. Yeah, right, right, yeah. I think a lot of people stick with the guitar. I think that's like what's most familiar to them, and that's what they hear in music, and they can play their favorite songs, and you know, some other instruments are kind of limited to a genre or things like that, but guitars and everything. Oh yeah, totally. So, biggest influences? Um... So, um, if you mean like guitar wise, um, when I first started playing guitar, I definitely was really into Jimi Hendrix and, um, Led Zeppelin and, um, the Beatles and, uh, I was really into Red Hot Chili Peppers too, Rage Against the Machine. Um, I had a guitar teacher, um, for a little bit that specifically was teaching me a lot of Led Zeppelin. I think that's how I got into it more and more, um. So guitar-wise, that's definitely what I started out listening to, kind of like rock and classic rock um, and things like that. Um, 
overall musically though I definitely grew up listening to a lot of hip hop um, even pop like you know I used to be a little boy band Stan and Sync and Backstreet Boys um, but uh, I listened to like a lot of rock and hip hop and uh, R&B and stuff like that all right, it's pretty cool. Because I remember when I was first learning guitar, and my guitar teacher, a guy by the name of Mike Stacy, said, "You put it the most pleasant way: eat pizza, shit pizza. Um, eat many things, shit many things. Listen to as much music you can, and get ideas and inspiration from there." That's true. That's so, true. You know, then it sounds homogenized. So, you know. So like, yeah, it definitely helps to be listening to grow to grow up listening to like a, a pretty wide range of music. Absolutely, you know, because I was thinking, because one thing I discovered over the years is this, there's nothing made in a vacuum, right? And if it does, it does get kind of repetitive over time, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. All right. So you play more than guitar, right? Um, I mean, I play a little bit of percussion, like um, a little bit of drums and djembe drum, uh, but I wouldn't say like I'm a great drummer uh, i mean i'm a singer also um but as far as instruments um it's really guitar and singing cool so how'd you get, how'd you get the name julie outrage um well uh you know actually like it's it's kind of a very just not a super exciting story but um whenever i would be on Word like uh, like Word documents. Um, my last name starts with O U E, and it would always spell check my last name to outrage every time I was writing. Um, and it was happening a lot in college. And I told one of my roommates about it, and um, she was like, "Oh, Julie Outrage. That sounds like a dope artist name." And she's like, "It actually describes your personality pretty well." And I was like, "Yeah, I think so too. Like, it actually kind of fits who I am." So I started kind of just going by that as a thing, and then it was. That happened like 10 years ago, and to this day, I just stuck with that name. Uh, but that's kind of where uh, the original idea originated. A similar story how I got the name Sketch, actually. Oh, yeah, how was that? I was literally in a... I was in this um, program for, um, for like, you know, teenagers to learn animation, right? And there was five guys in a class named John. So I got sick of Whiplash. And I said, fuck it, just call me Sketch or something. I looked down at my old sketchbook, and that's where it came from. And also, there was this old video game called Comic Zone, right? And the lead character's name Sketch Turner. I thought it was a cool name, so I thought, like, um, use it somewhere somehow. So there you go. Nice, nice. <laughs> that's what's up. Yeah, sometimes it's just, like, a quick split-second thing, and everybody starts using it, and then it just sticks. Yep. It's kind of fascinating, because even, like, the name I've been using after this, wow, for almost over 20 years, right? It still feels weird sometimes. You know? Which which name? Sketch or? Sketch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's more or less like, you can see me? That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I see videos where you, um, where you jam over songs with, like, guitar parts. And you ever just feel like guitar just makes certain, certain songs sound better? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I like adding guitar to a lot of stuff because when I'm listening to music, I'm kind of thinking about like, oh, damn, I wonder what I could do with this. Like, I'll sit down and play guitar real quick, like find the key and kind of mess around with that. Um, and I've always done that, but I never really recorded myself doing it and anything like that. But it's just kind of like recently that that I've really started actually like recording to actual um, tracks. 
Um, so that's more of like a recent thing that I've been doing. Because I used to kind of do something like that where I'll get the backing track of some song like um, I know the song Runaway by Kanye West is in the key of E, right? So I would just like to start jamming in E pentatonic and see what comes up. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of that's kind of the same vibe I'm on. Yeah, like I admit nothing was like found some cool licks and whatnot, but nothing really very at home about though. But it does help your timing though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's just like playing to like you know jazz standards or you know that type of stuff when you're learning to play guitar. Um, for me, like I like playing the hip hop songs. That's like the music that I listen to. So it's, it's what I kind of started practicing to like expand my range and stuff. Cool. What do you think of the rap metal stuff? You know, to be honest, I haven't really listened to any rap metal in years. Um, so I can't really say because I don't know where rap metal is right now. Um, I I can't even think of a rap metal band that I've really listened to recently. I see it's slowly starting to come back with guys like Scarlord. I remember Triple X Tentacion, I think his name is, was trying to start something too. Um let's call it trap metal or rage course on the line now i like the mm-hmm. idea and i like to see where it develops and blooms you know yeah i think um like rock is definitely a uh, rock in hip-hop is definitely becoming a much bigger thing than i think it has been in the past couple of years i think people are incorporating like just in like um i'm not even talking about in like um like rap rock like rap metal i'm um, like in just what would be considered mainstream hip hop? I think that people are like incorporating a lot more guitar, even and just rock um, in general in hip hop right now. I called this back in 2013, right? And I said hip hop's going through its new wave kind of phase because it was really colorful, really bright. So, okay, so the next logical conclusion is for it to go through its grunge phase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that. I think, yeah, there's definitely a lot of artists, even like female artists that are doing a lot of grunge rock type stuff. Um, so that's definitely coming back. Because I think for a while it was, I mean, there's still obviously a lot of synthesized instrumentation uh, in hip hop, but I think uh, people are trying to do something different. So they're trying to, um, I think, reincorporate instrumentalist in hip-hop you know because i think for a while like it was huge what the roots were doing i think a lot of people started trying to do what the roots were doing have a live uh hip-hop band and that was going on for a while but it wasn't like hitting as mainstream as um some other acts but now i think there's like another wave of people like getting in touch with rock music especially black people getting in touch with with rock music right now i Um, noticed that too because now people are starting to know the name sister was at a tharp and i'm like okay (laughs) <laughs> right i admit it i'm trying not to be the latest woman like okay you're late but at least you're here right yeah and i mean i've even heard from people that were like i talked to somebody like last week who was like he started listening to Jimi hendrix like maybe five or six years ago he's like almost 38 or something and um i mean that was a different reason that was because he said he grew up in a religious home he grew up playing church music and his family didn't play that, and then when he was, you know, older, he started getting into his own style of music, and um, that's when he basically discovered Jimi Hendrix, you know, at in his late thirties. Hey, um, hey, better, better late than never, you know. What can I say? <laughs> right. But like one person, I think it was actually I think of two people. Um, I think of Rico Nasty, and also I think of Denzel Curry. Like I remember seeing Denzel Curry like 
like a breakout into a system of a down song live. And I remember seeing him like rap to um, Bulls on Parade by Rage Against the Machine. And um, yeah. and also I remember seeing him um, actually uh, do Eye Against Eye with, uh, with the rhythm section for Bad Brains. So I'm like, the energy's there. And I'm glad they're finally figuring out ways to control it and channel it and do it properly, you know? Yeah, yeah, I definitely feel that. And yeah, Rico Nasty was someone I was thinking of too. Um, like as a, one of the people who's definitely had like a rock resurgence. Do you think, I feel this way, but um, do you think that, I, I really, I kind of predict this. Actually, I said this back in 2012. There's going to be this wave of black and, there's going to be a wave of rock and country coming back to, with, with black artists really be, being the forefront. You know, and I said about like eight years, right? The one thing I guess I missed the point on was it was going to be in the vehicle of rap. You know, because when I do see stuff like Lucy Vert, you know, like XL Tour Life, I'm like, this is emo as fuck right here. Yeah. Um, I was even thinking OG Mako, like he even said that he was doing punk and he even started, he was on a hardcore band, he played bass in a hardcore band, right? And there was this one song he did, I can't remember what it was called, but it was like 40 seconds and I'm like, Please finish this off. <laughs> you know, even like Little B tried to do something. So it feels like it was kind of there, like a, it was almost like a soda slowly bubbling. Yeah, I mean, I think that that emo style has has not ever really died out. Like, I think emo really was, I guess, big about 13, 14 years ago. Um, and I think, you know, like people who, I don't know how old you are, but. 36. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm 32, so um, I think some people in like the younger generation, I guess Gen Z, are not even rediscovering emo because it's always been there, but uh, I think it's being more incorporated into new genres as something that like hasn't been done before, instead of like kind of completely imitating what was you know going on about 12 years ago with the with emo. So um, I think honestly, I think um, I think black people are more comfortable experimenting with different styles of music these days, to be honest. I think, like, completely. Uh, people used to be, like, um, felt like judged to be, like, in a rock community. I mean, I know, like, when I went to rock shows, it was mostly, like, white kids, you know, and um, it wasn't, it wasn't like, a huge black community that was there. And I think people have broken out of the stereotypes of feeling like they have to be doing this or that. Like, I just think people have found their niche markets it's easier to find music these days too also so that probably helps but yeah. i think people are more um willing to get outside the boxes that like they felt like they were culturally like sort of trapped in you know oh completely because i remember like remember when everybody said you made this shit go hard right and they put on something about like, hard in the paint but waka flaka yeah yeah and i'm like hard. you only know what you know because i'm listening to god forbid and stuff like that i'm listening to like um kill switch engage and i'm like okay i guess this is um what you consider hard great um but it's like but then i'm starting to see like but even like with waka flock i noticed like he's like a live drummer that's kind of alien war for some of his shows you know and he even tried he even tried to call himself rap rock so i see mm -hmm. like they were trying to but trying to, to scare people off you know it's kind of like trying to get my calf from ready to bed you know you gotta be really gentle you know, because if you don't want to get up the, from ready to bed, not much you can do. You know, especially when it's noise to go to the go to the groomer. You know what I mean? I'm not sure I do, but I'm trying to follow. 
Um, I'll put it this way. The best analogy is it's like he hears the word groomer now and he knows like I don't want to get cleaned up, so he gets runs underneath the bed, so I gotta like call the groomer shit like that and say like hey it's gonna be a little bit late and it kinda cokes him out and everything. It might take like uh, thirty minutes to an hour. So it's kinda like that. So it's like it took time for people to kinda catch on. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, I see what you mean. Or to, you mean. or to feel comfortable feel like I'm the only black person here in this space, so this doesn't feel like it's for me, though, right? Or right, like right. They, they might find an equivalent. Like, to me, like, okay, we're like age peers. To me, I always felt like DMX should have had a full-ass band. Like, he should have won the medal. Yeah. Yeah, like, DMX went hard. As a motherfucker. I'm like, I'm like, really a lot of this stuff. <clears throat> like, I remember he did a song with uh, Limp Bizkit. was was beats he produced, but nonetheless, it's the same idea. Like, he had that mm. kind of growl where I'm like, he could easily fit in Biohazard or something like that. He could easily do that. Yeah, I mean, there's songs that were, like, came out not long ago. Like, even Rick Ross and some Lil Wayne songs and stuff like that, they were pretty hard. Like, they were, they had a lot of rock elements to them. Yeah. Um, And I don't think it's like, I mean, this was music from a couple of years ago, but, um, you know, it, it's coming back in its own way. It's stern, too. I'm glad to see it, though. Yeah. yeah. So, what's your gear setup? My gear setup, um, like uh, studio recording-wise or guitar-wise? Actually, both. Um, well, right now I have um, a Les Paul Epiphone. Uh, that's my main guitar that I use. Um, and I have uh, an Axel guitar. It's this California brand. It's like this really nice wood, hand-carved guitar. And I recently got an acoustic because I've been playing electric um, pretty exclusively for the past like probably five or six years. I started on acoustic, but um, I have been playing electric for a long time and being in band and stuff. So I recently decided to get an acoustic and um, it's been going pretty well. So I have, right now I have three guitars. Um, as far as my setup at home, um, I pretty much record like in a little isolation shield um, and like I live in a, a basement apartment, so the ceilings are pretty low, so that actually makes for a pretty good recording space. Um, so since the pandemic started, I've been working with people like I really have an idea for a song, or I'll have the guitar laid down and I send it to them and they send me the stems. And when you know we've gotten like an instrumental vibe, that's when I'll you know sit down and record at home um, and uh, do it that way. I was kind of doing something similar with a side project of mine, like. I know a drummer, I know a lead singer out in Detroit. The drummer's out in um like near Silver Spring. And uh the bass player is also out in Detroit as well, so we're kinda of bouncing tracks and stuff. I still gotta finish off the guitar solo on this one song we're doing. Nice. Yeah, I mean I like recording at home to be honest. Same um, here. And since I like already have an audio engineering background, it wasn't like a huge oh, nice. stressor for me to like start recording at home. I um I used to take like audio engineering classes in college because I was a music major at first, um, but then I I just kind of stopped really focusing on um, home recording and learning more about mixing and engineering just because um, like I had other options to you like basically try to have other people help me out with that. But now that like you know I can sit at home during this pandemic, I've been getting back to the things that I thought I had completely forgotten since I learned you know, audio engineering, like, you know, eight years ago, um, it's like, I'll come back now. So it's been, it's been pretty dope to be able to, to handle my own creating of songs, basically. 
and not have to obviously sit in a studio and pay money to, you know. That too. Um, you know, because that just limits how much you're going to be able to make. And also, it just limits your creativity because you're in a time constraint, you know. Oh, yeah, completely, you know. Reminds me of what uh, Hank 3 would say. He would say something like, every time he walk into a, every time he, every time he'll walk into a studio, he feels like, man, this place is burning money. Like, he'll get almost an anxiety attack over it. Yeah, I don't even feel, I wouldn't even feel comfortable. Now that I'm doing it at home, I like. I feel like I would have a hard time going into a studio, like at least to record vocals, because I feel so much more comfortable like recording vocals by myself, experimenting with my voice, seeing what keys I can sing in, rather than doing it in a room where like you know someone's watching you and waiting for you to you know be ready to record, you know. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, okay, I didn't realize you had an engineering background. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of feel like as an artist now, you have to be damn near everything, right? <laughs> yeah. And and one thing about it is I have a I admit I have a thing for engineering my tracks and everything and helping out other bands and everything. It's I admit I have a thing of mine. It's like I've always kind of dug that. Like I learned to set up a drum kit, you know? Yeah, sure, it's like kind of the old classic rock thing, but you know what? The shit comes out great. Yeah, I think being, yeah, you. I think like right now, um, Artists are kind of expected to do any everything, to be honest. Like, you know. Uh, Wait, solo artists, right? Um, I mean, yeah, solo artists, but I mean, there's a lot of people who, who are recording great albums, great records in their own homes, you know. Because um, I think, you know, audio engineering it used to be so specific. People really, I mean, also people only had the capability to record in studios, but. Nowadays, with the way like the technology of microphones are, and especially what you can do mixing-wise, I mean, because you can turn you know your closet into the sound of like a million-dollar studio if you have the proper plugins, you know, um, as long as you have the proper microphone too. That's literally how Snoop Dogg recorded "Drop It Like It's Hot." <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Like the story was that okay, he's a tall dude, right? And the closet's a little smaller than he anticipated. The story is he laid the vocal track down, right? And he was basically surrounded by ties and suits and shit. Mm. You know, which makes sense because, you know, it's um, basically soundproofing. And um, I remember stories about Juicy J recording most of his vocals in a hotel bathroom. That's mm. where he does stuff. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, it does make sense. And it, it is kind of fun where, okay, when I, my band recorded our EP, uh, Alien Pond, right, I had to redo some guitar tracks. So luckily I have a setup here. So I was bouncing, you know, guitar tracks over to, um, you know, over to uh, Bias and whatnot, doing that. And they actually came out pretty good. You know, so it's like, it's more back in the day, it was almost like, oh, it's going to sound like shit. Like, no, it's actually improved over time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know. Just, so it gives me Les Paul. Okay, Epiphone Les Paul, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What color? Uh, it's like a red, a red burst. I'm like, where's my guitar right now? Um, uh, it's like it's an orange, an orange red burst. Uh, Epiphone. Yeah. All right. I'm looking over mine over to uh, my right. Actually, right. Actually, the neck got broken in a really interesting way. Mm, what happened? Here's what happened. All right, back in 2017, um, the first line above my band, we reunited, right? Um, kind of an unfinished business kind of thing, and I want to record the sessions, right? And what happened was one of the drummers, uh, the first one, uh, by the name of Kelvin, right? Um, he can do this really cool double bass shit, right? 
and this is one song we do go weathered and he d he can do the breakdown right so anyway i haven't played this one specific breakdown that way in years right anyway it felt like what happened was when he's doing the double bass shit i guess i added a little more oomph to the guitar my guitar disintegrated in my hands what exactly <laughs> i can show you like literally i'm like it's like so there's a certain pattern right to lock on the double bass right and i guess i added like kind of extra oomph or something like that and next thing you know, I'm just playing the shit out of this thing, right? And the neck breaks and it just falls apart. And like literally, even like at the end of it, it's like this dissonant chord comes out, right? And it comes out perfectly. Mm. You know, I'm like, wow. I know, right? <laughs> that and is definitely weird. I've never heard of that before. I'll send you the picture later. All right, I'm about to check that out. I'm still kicking my ass then I get it on video because that was epic. Wow. Yeah. That sounds like it. Yep. Filmmaker too, right? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I'm a filmmaker also. Um, yeah, after I was a music major, <clears throat> I was a music major for the first year in college, and then I switched to um, media and communication studies. So um, I was like doing journalism and video production, and then um, I went to a grad program for a year in New York, uh, like a film program, um, and started working on films in New York and short films. And uh, yeah, that was. Uh, probably about set like I started filming like about like eight or nine years ago. Yeah. Cool. Cinematic influences. You know I can't even say um, that would I I feel like I, there's definitely like cinematographers that I love and different films that I love, but I can't even really narrow it down. Like I have, um, I I would say that I'm not someone who's like super like uh, film theory heavy, um, so it would be hard for me to name the exact films that um, influenced me, but I would say like some of my favorite films are um, Requiem for a Dream, uh, like cinematography wise, I really love that um, that film, um, and also like actually story wise. Um, but um, I'm also really into documentaries, um, so that was sort of um, the avenue that I took after I left New York and like moved back to DC and was working on more journalistic type work. Um, but yeah, I, I I would have to like really rack my brain for that <laughs> to go into which directors I love the most and stuff. I feel you because um I don't know it's like because when I do film stuff there's like no direct influence of shit I just I'm just more of a point and shoot kind of guy you know. Gotcha, like, gotcha, yeah. Like um, but my favorite directors are guys like John Waters, you know, um, Kevin Smith, um, Ralph Bakshi, and also um, Terry Gilliam until they turn to be a prick actually. You know, <laughs> like one of my favorite movies is Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I love that story. I love the. I think I think I read the book first or something. It's a great yeah. fucking story, and I would yeah. I would literally say people like, "Hey, morale in the sand is higher than Hunter S. Thompson in Vegas." You said what? I would say to people, "It's like, how you doing?" It's like, "Hey, morale's over here higher than Hunter S. Thompson in Vegas." <laughs> yeah, that I love Hunter S. Thompson also. Um, anything I, I love his books same here you know he was like a big influence when i was doing more writing and stuff like big influence because i just love how i just love how he would paint a picture you know like you would feel that you were there and they called it gonzo journalism i'm like well yeah shit. exactly i was gonna say yeah i was like exactly i was like well shit i was gonna do this anyway so i'm like i'm just reading the stories i'm like i can you can almost like just 
you can almost feel this like the sand you know hit you in the face when it's certain parts of your feelings on the camping trail you know yeah yeah i i feel like so i haven't uh uh last time i watched that movie was so long ago i don't remember the movie that well but i do remember reading the book oh yeah um yeah one thing is this I always kind of felt this way. If it was ever somebody to do another, like a take on Hunter Thompson's story, the perfect director would be Hype Williams. Hmm. Interesting. Hype Williams has a very specific aesthetic. Um, like, I was watching Belly, and some of the shit that I saw in Belly, it reminded me of, like, Fear and Loathing Las It reminded me of Fear and Loathing Las Vegas. Mm. So I was like, it has a kind of trippy kind of feel to it. You know, so I'm like, this is pretty interesting, you know, yeah. but one movie I thought it shot really well and it was basic as, as hell, but it was shot really well, in my opinion, was Up in Smoke with, by Cheech, with Cheech and Chong in it. Wow, I, my memory must be really bad because I can't even remember that movie. I know I saw it, but I literally cannot remember the cinematography of that movie at all. It was basic, but effective. You know, like, okay. it wasn't anything that special, but I'm like, it was just, the way it was shot, though, like, when you start, you hit pause and realize, damn, they really laid this shit out better than I realized, you know? Yeah. Damn, I gotta watch that movie again, because I really don't even remember. To be honest, that's the only one, out of all the Cheech and Sean movies, that's probably the only, there's probably only two you need to watch, because the others were like, they're good for the time being. <laughs> yeah, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so uh, tell us about your single, uh, Slow Down. Um, yeah, so um, Slow Down came out, I guess it's been about a month and a half, two months or something. Um, that, that song came out. Yeah, I wrote that song. Well, I started I started working on that song like four, or five, four months ago or something, actually. And there's been several renditions of that song. At first, it was like a feature with somebody, and then um, I started changing some of it instrumentally. Then I was able to um, have um, someone who helped me. Like I started having an idea that I wanted a horn section in that song, um, and I had um, Orpheus Management um, help me to get um, some horn players, and they contacted uh, basically um, the horn section of Aztec Sun, and uh, they were able to get um, two of the horn players in there to lay down some tracks in there. Um, and then sort of built built the track um, off of that after that. And, uh, yeah, the song finally came together. I had my uh, arranger and mixing engineer put in, like, the final touches. Like, I had a beat originally that was in the song that was horrible. Um, he stripped the whole thing out, <laughs> and it really helped me out and put, like, you know, a whole new beat in there, tabla and all that. And, um, yeah, the song song finally came together after, after a couple of different... Um, after it passed a couple of different hands to get to where it is now. Nice. Okay, you also did a um, guitar, more guitar-driven dri- edition of WAP, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah, <laughs> when when WAP, well, yeah, when WAP came out um, originally, yeah. All right. I was wondering, anybody ever, you know, from that camp ever check it out or notice it? Um. So, not really. I. I to this day, I don't know. I. I wouldn't know if they did, but I haven't heard anything. Um. As far as from Cardi B or Megan The Stallion, um. I did a Bodak uh, Yellow cover like not that long ago though, and I know that um 
the producer of Bodak Yellow, Jay White, saw it um, on Twitter um, and said some cool stuff about it. Um, but yeah, to this day, I'm still waiting, you know. Um, if I can get, you know, some confirmation on whether they've heard it or not, I don't know, you know. I've, I've tried to tag them in the videos and all that, but... Yeah, that video definitely went around for a while, so that was that was pretty cool. Yeah, because I was like, hey, I know her. She knows. <laughs> Where did you see it? Did you see it on Instagram? I saw it on Twitter, actually. Oh, wow. Okay, gotcha. Yes. <laughs> no, funny story, actually. I was ta- so I was talking to someone on Tinder a couple of months ago, and they are like, hey, um, I saw your, your – or someone contacted me on Tinder and was like, hey, I saw your, your WAP cover on Twitter. And I was like, Really? Uh, it was really random because I don't even think this was someone in the state or anything. Um, but yeah, that was cool. Well, that was seen all over. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, I noticed you have kind of a blues approach to a lot of guitar, a lot of guitar solos. Yeah, I would definitely say I'm like a very much a blues, kind of jazzish, I guess, but definitely a blues guitarist. Anyway, uh, I went. I remember I went through like a Three Kings phase, being Freddie King, Albert King, and BB King, right? Mm-hmm. So, are there any blues artists that um that really sparked you or anything? Um, yeah, I think. I mean, I know that Jimi Hendrix is not considered a blues guitarist per se, but I would definitely say that that was um when I was um learning guitar, I was playing a lot of Jimi Hendrix. Um, but yeah, BB King too. Um, there's plenty of artists that I um blues guitarists that I probably don't even remember that I heard when I was younger that like you know my parents would play um, that probably influenced a little bit of that sound Um, I think uh, technique wise that was just sort of one of the first styles of guitar that I learned so that's sort of if I'm trying to figure out how to play something that'll be like my automatic fallback of a default Um, and then I started learning more jazz guitar when I um, was in school when I was in college when I was a I was a jazz guitar major for like the first year of college so I think it's kind of like a blues jazz thing that sort of was the fundamentals of me learning uh, guitar and, uh, you know, um, music theory. Oh, cool. I didn't know. Oh, you studied music theory too? Yeah, yeah. I did. I mean, I, I, that was actually one of the reasons I stopped being a music major is because I'm really not good at music theory, though. Um, I, have a, I have a pretty, you know, general understanding of music theory enough that I, you know, teach guitar lessons, but I'm definitely not like a, a composer. Um, uh, like sheet music wise and things like that. Yeah, I can't say read for shit. I'm gonna be real. I'm gonna be real with you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I don't even really have that much of an interest in composing sheet music type uh, things, but um, I I did learn some of that as a as a in school and stuff like that as a jazz guitar major. Oh yeah. Uh, same here, cause I would like uh, with my band and everything, I would try to like um explain stuff in music theory terms. Sometimes it works. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I kind of like it. I like it, but uh, for me, it's like math in disguise, and I'm, I'm just not good at math, so it's not like my strongest. Uh, I feel you. Strongest point. I feel you. So, okay, so do you feel like social media platforms like TikTok are help to bring guitar-based music to younger ears? Say that again. Okay. Do you think um, social media platforms like TikTok um, are help to bring um, guitar-based music to younger ears? Guitar-based music, huh? Well, I think it's um, bringing music, all music, to younger ears, to be honest. Um, um, I'm not sure if I've noticed that it's specifically guitar, though. Um, I think TikTok right now is is definitely blowing up as a platform that musicians use because 
people are um, using so much background of TikTok songs and sort of um, using them in their own um, little kind of documentations of their life, basically, and also dancing videos and things like that. So I think like that's a whole new platform to share music in a way that it's attached to video, which I think is actually really cool because I think video editing used to be so like difficult for people to learn or even use that um, people were not really capable of making this type of content the way that con TikTok has done it. TikTok has made video editing really easy um, and I think has inspired people to even like go onto other actual editing platforms like Premiere or iMovie and learn to edit so that they can post on TikTok because now people can engage in your content your content is kind of more fun for um, for people. Like there's actually a place for your videos to go rather than just kind of making them on your own and sharing them on Facebook. Um, but um, I think guitar has always been people's primary um, instrument that they're interested in. So I'm not sure if I would say social media really has brought that to the forefront or not. Yeah. But yeah, I just had a quick flashback to the old days of YouTube, right? When a YouTube show was literally a guy in front of a webcam and a basement with an opinion. Right, yeah, exactly. And they, they, he's still there, too. There's a couple of them still up on there. Um, but it's gotten a little bit more savvy. Absolutely. Like, wow, these are well-produced. Yeah, no, some of these videos that I see, I'm like, damn, how long does this take you to, to edit this video? Because even, like, looking at it as a, like, from a video editor perspective, I'm like, wow, this is actually, like, some very good editing. You know what I mean? Like, It really you, is. And I'm sure it took them a very, very long time to do it. Um, and it's funny because you engage with TikTok so quickly. Um, so it's like pouring in, you know, what looks like a 30-second video took somebody like, you know, three days or something. Or, you know, 100 takes is, is wild to me. I know, right? Especially the jump cuts, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, some people are really putting a lot into it. And I, I, I think it's awesome, actually. I, I think it's dope. Um I personally um, have not been able to get myself together enough to produce that type of content, but I think it's pretty dope. The closest I've gotten to that is, you know, when I would, you know, I would put up like um, I would edit videos of my band and everything and sync up like the audio, you know, like from from, from the old DP32SD and do that and also kind of experiment around with the graphics and stuff, you know. I'm mm -hmm. Like I'm still learning it though. I try to keep it simple though. Right, right. Yeah, I feel that. I mean, I, I actually like editing, um, and I feel like, especially with this pandemic, I feel like I was already ready to do live streams and stuff like that, you know, or edit pre-recorded content since, like, I've worked as a video editor before, so I actually kind of like the process of, of editing stuff, and I've been wanting to get more into, like, some of these short-form content platforms like TikTok um, and do that, but I mostly um, do um, guitar uh guitar stuff on TikTok. I haven't really done any actual, um, not too much filming stuff on there. Yeah, because I remember when I was younger, I would really be into like the whole AMV thing or the anime music video thing, you know, or just like grab some song and some Japanese anime and just cut it there and make a music video out of it. I learned a lot of cool stuff out of doing that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's definitely the way to do it. You know, like um, I did one of the boondocks um, where I grabbed Tech Knives to Rain and I synced it up telling the story about Tom Dubois and everything. And, like, um, because they kind of paralleled, right? And I even, I even sent it to some of the producers, actually dug it, you know? Nice. Yep. That sounds cool. Yeah. But speaking of, um, 
Okay, what was it like uh, interviewing Snoop Dogg and uh, Stephen Marley and Julian Marley on the Blaze and Confused tour? <laughs> um, yeah, that was cool. That was a really random occurrence because um, uh, I was I was there to interview. Um, I was uh, like scheduled to interview um, Stephen Marley and things like that for this music um, website that I was working for at the time. Um, but I wasn't scheduled to interview Snoop Dogg at all, and um, it's actually really hard to actually get an interview with Snoop Dogg. Like at that time, he doesn't allow cameras in his dressing rooms or backstage around him and things like that. But um, I was already there with a camera, and uh, I met a photographer there that actually ended up giving me his press pass that was specific for Snoop Dogg. I met him that day, and we got along really well. And he's like, "Yeah, if you want to go back there, like, see if he'll do an interview." So. You know, I went over there. I was what I was like, 21 years old or something, 22 years old. You know, just kid waiting outside a Snoop Dogg's dressing room to do an interview with him. And um, he was in there for a, in his his dressing room for a while actually. And I I waited for a little bit. His bouncers were like there, letting me wait. And um, at some point, I was like, oh, you know what? I don't know when he's gonna come out. I'm just gonna go. Like, you know, he's like, no, 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 wait for him. You know, like this is a good opportunity for you. Just chill. Like. Wait till he comes out, and I was like, well, I don't think he's going to give me an interview, you know, I don't have anything scheduled, I'm kind of just waiting here. But they're like, no, no, just stay. So that I waited even longer and longer, and um, I think I had been almost, at this point, almost an hour, I was waiting out of his dressing room. <clears throat> and um, he finally came out, and he was like booking it out the door, because there was a lot of people waiting for him. So he, I think he was just trying to book it and not have to talk to too many people. But um, his bouncers actually stopped and they were like, hey, this girl has been waiting for you um, to interview you for like an hour. And he just like looked at me for a quick second and he was like, all right, baby, make it quick. And um, I think I asked him like four questions and then that was it. And he's like, all right, thank you, baby. And he took a picture with me and my friend and rolled on out. <laughs> so, and his bouncers were like, that's actually really big. He, he normally just says no. He normally would have just been like, no, I'm not doing the interview. But the fact that he even took the time out and was like, yeah, go ahead, was actually, to them, they were like, that's actually a big deal. Cool. Wait, this was in his Snoop Lion phase, right? Um, No, this was before that. That was much before that. Yeah. yeah. I don't think he was he was Snoop Lion at all at that point. I, I don't remember what year that was, but um, that was that was way before that tour. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, I guess I got to wrap it up right now, but Julie, great chatting with you. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for um, wanting to do this interview and stuff. No cool. problem. No problem at all. You know. Um, is there anything else you want us to check out and whatnot? Um, well, yeah, I have more music coming out pretty soon. But um, like as far as music goes, you know, you can check out my stuff, um, Spotify and all the streaming platforms on you know Julie under Julie Outrage and Instagram is Julio Music, Twitter Julie Outrage. Um, I actually have a filming project that I'm getting into in the next month or so um, where I'm going to be um, trying to do some interviews. Well, uh, mostly um, filming live performances that are starting to open up um, for a project with this company. So um, that's sort of what I'm doing next. But, yeah, music and film stuff. How do you feel how you've grown as an artist? How I've grown as an artist yeah. um, in general or during this specific time? All around. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, I think I've my I think my style of music has drastically changed um, from the type of music I was making probably even like six or seven years ago. 
Um, I think I was making a lot more rock, alternative rock type music. I still make that, um, but right now I, th I think I've made like more like sort of like R&B-ish music. Um, and um, I think I've become more comfortable with my sound. Um, I think I, you know, used to be a little bit more shy about the lyrics that I would put out or thinking about what, what's appropriate to say or not. Um, but I think I've just as a building of my craft and becoming better at recording and just playing my instrument and also songwriting. I think like um, the style of music I've played has drastically changed even in the past like two or three years. Hey, that was Julie Outrace. Check out her music on all streaming platforms. Like, share, subscribe to the show. Until next time, take it easy.